0: You know, yesterday, yesterday I heard on the radio that uh, Manchester and the Christmas markets, they were bragging on the radio that 80,000 Christmas festive mugs have been sold. And I thought to myself how right they are. 80,000 Christmas festive mugs were sold to 80,000 Christmas festive mugs. <laughs> and uh, four pound a piece. that's 320 grand. That's just on mugs. So what's the model of the story? Don't be someone's Christmas mug. That's a lot of money. You know, my job this morning is to review where we've been at the year, uh, all year. So, please just listen. If you're new this morning, this is going to give you some highlights of what God has been speaking to us as a church. Now, not everybody who is part of this church is here this morning. That's irrespective of that. You're here. You're the only crowd I can speak to because you're the only one here. Amen? So, you know, for 52 weeks of the year, we gather. And when we gather, that word gather can mean many things. We gather our thoughts, we gather revelations, we gather interest, we gather a lot of things. But we gather in physically in this place 52 weeks of the year. That's an awful lot of gathering. That's not included midweeks, that's not included, that's just Sundays. And in that 52 weeks we've worshipped intently, we have prayed intently we have imparted dimensions of truth and grace and we've gathered for building uh, what we call our building in the spirit that's when we gather on a Sunday to pray intently about things that's a God filled atmosphere something that we've protected over these years God has given us that we've gathered for that and that's taken us on another journey then we've gathered for our discipleship training authentic sonship we've gathered for that these are all moments upgrade these are all moments opportunities for you and I to update and upgrade our spirituality we've we do these things so that you can develop and deepen what it is God wants done in your life yeah Yeah? Yeah. and some of you have attended seminars additionally to what we've been doing as a church some of you have read books and again you've To take your Christianity to a new level of understanding, meaning, development. These are all good things, all good things. Some of you attended, you took uh, three days off and you attended our School of the Prophets this year. Our European School of the Prophets and what a time we had. What a time we had. A very pivotal moment for Europe and a very pivotal moment for us as a church. We always feel better when we've had our School of the Prophets When we see all our brothers and sisters come from right across Europe and uh, here, right here in Manchester. What a fantastic opportunity. And taking into this account, let me say this to you. To whom much is given, much is required. You cannot uh, accumulate. You cannot keep on adding and adding and adding. And God not expect some kind of change. God isn't interested in how much you know. God's interested in how much you can do with what you know. Knowledge is a wonderful thing, but it can also be uh, a wasted thing if not used with wisdom. So if we look into the spiritual mirror, what do you see when you look at yourself? 52 weeks on, what shape are you? I'm not talking about physical shape now. Leave the, the physical side of it. I'm talking about spiritual. When you look in the mirror, 52 weeks on. You should look awesome. You should look more glorified. I should see, you should see, we should see a greater reflection of the nature, likeness, and image of Christ, the one that you are supposed to partake of. God's expecting this. God does not want you and I to become a hero only. We, God desires for you to become a doer, and put that into action. Amen. So, if we look at the spiritual mirror, we must see, we must see, we should see progress. We should see advancement. We may see pain, we may see disappointment, and th- that being said, there still, be sh- there still should be, I should say, some measure of advancement. Even in sorrow, you can advance. Yeah, yeah. Even in pain, you can advance. It might take time, but you, have, you wasn't born to stay there. You have to come out. You have to come out of that darkness, that pain. I, I, listen, we've all had pain. When we lose people and, and people do things to us that disappoint us, we all feel pain because we're human. We feel it, but how long we carry that pain for determines how long I'm willing to let go and try to progress. And we all deal with that differently, so there's no um, criticism there. But deal with it we must, or it will deal with us. So we must have greater degree of glory upon our lives. We cannot gather church for 52 weeks of the year and be the same we was on January when we first came in this year. We cannot, we should not, you know, and if that is the case, if you're still the same, there's only Jesus who's allowed to be the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. You're not allowed to be like that. You're changing from one degree of glory to another. Amen? So, you and I are not allowed to stay in a place called stop. (coughs) You and I are supposed to be in a place called advancement, continuation, development. Amen? So... What do you really look like at the back end of December? Well, then you really need to take a look, good look at yourself, my friend, because uh, you're, you're another year closer to heaven. I don't want to kind of depress you at this festive time, but I also want, don't want to deny the truth. You are one year closer to meeting your Savior. Now, when you see him, you want to be in good shape, don't you? I know I do and uh, God always carries an emphasis. God's nature is always to carry an emphasis and God shares that emphasis with different churches at different times in different seasons but God works from the point of purpose and out of his purpose come emphasis. Yes? And You know, when we've not even had Christmas yet, but, you know, soon as Christmas is over, everybody's attention goes to New Year. And they start planning for the New Year celebration and things like that and everything. The shops get full again and everyone's going to pig out and feast out for one night again. And it just becomes a whole season of self-indulgence. However, when those chimes ring out, declaring 218, you know, God hasn't changed God hasn't changed his emphasis. It's another year in our calendar. But when you live outside of time and space and matter, when all things live inside you and you live outside them, you're not affected by a chime. God doesn't need a new season. God creates seasons. You might need a new season. But God's emphasis, you know what God would declare God will declare to you and I come January the first, He'll say, You'll say, God, what is it for this year? What did I tell you last week? What did I tell you 10 minutes ago? Do that. God isn't going to change his mind and bring a new word to you just because the chimes ring out. Everyone will be making New Year's resolutions, but God won't. God's saying, I want a new year revelation, I want you to have a new year revolution. But I don't need you to have a resolution. Because things like this people very rarely keep. But God wants us because God's never changed his subject. He's a fanatic. He's never changed his subject. A fanatic is someone who won't change the subject. And God is always speaking about the same things time and time and time again. The only difference is, is one church might pick it up in this season, another church might pick it up in that season. But God is constantly speaking. Why? Because he only speaks truth. It's his only language. Amen? So we have to keep on working towards those things that he has spoken to us about. That is our priority. We cannot be listening to what some uh, TV program or some TV uh, preacher says. We cannot be shifting because of the latest book or because of the latest preacher we go listen to, we must have some firm convictions in this church, in your life, as to what God is saying and what God is doing. I can't be over here one minute and over there next because we'll we'll become busy fools. God doesn't want a busy fool. Amen? God doesn't sleep, but you do. God doesn't slumber, but you and I do. So he says, awake, O sleeper, arise and let Christ strengthen you and rise in you. Amen? Amen. So when you ever take, when God wants to make this emphasis known, he chooses leaders. He chooses leaders. Now, leadership, for all its glorification, it's not always a nice role. But some leaders choose a role, some roles choose a leader. However, God chooses his man for the role, or his woman. When I say man, I mean male and female. And it's a serious business being in leadership. It is a very, very serious business, because the leader is responsible to keep the foot on the pedal. He's responsible to get on the bus and keep driving it, knowing that people will get on and people will get off. You never see a bus driver crying when people get off his bus. Right? You never see a bus driver cry when people get off his bus. He might cry when some of them get on, but he never cries when people get off. He never deviates his bus, he never takes it off, because it's a serious offence for a bus driver to take his bus off route. He has to get permission from HQ. And people get on the bus, and this is the same with, with church life. People get on this bus, and then they'll say, they don't know it, but they might say, well, I'll stay with you for two stops. I'll stay with you for three stops. And here's the thing, the difference between, and only leaders can know this, some people want a ride, others are making a journey. Yeah. And the one who's made and now everyone says, oh, well, I'm on a journey. No, you're not, yeah, to the next bus stop. <laughs> to the next stop. And the interesting thing about this is, is, um, is the driver must finish his course. And he might, he might go around that mountain a few times. But he has, to fin- he has to take his bus to the designated place. That's leadership. People get on, people get off. He doesn't cry. He might whinge a bit. He might get upset a bit. But he still keeps on driving the bus. That's easier said than done. But done it must be. Done. However, then it's the leader's job to determine the size of the bus he's going to drive. Some are single-deckers. Some are double-deckers. Yeah? Not all drivers drive the same kind of bus. So, the point is, his leadership is not always a great place to be in, but I find it's the most rewarding place for me. I was born to be a leader. I wasn't born a leader. I was born to be a leader. There's a big difference. Leaders are not born, they're developed. They're raised and developed. What you're born to be, you have to be developed to become. It's not enough to be born something. You have to be developed to become that person that God has said that's, what, that's your destiny. And there's the, that's why you need leadership. Leadership. Leadership then brings you to that point and develops you and deepens you so that you can do the very thing that God has been emphasizing on your life, amen? But the trouble is, if you keep getting off the bus, how are you ever going to be developed? So, some bus rides are not nice, are they? Others are beautiful. Some are nice, smooth, with these, what they call sleeping peacemen, you're all the time, you're doing that all the time, but... That's the journey of life. And the reason why leadership is so difficult, do you know why? Is because, think of this in a church context, I look around me and everything is in decay. I didn't say everyone. Everything's in decay. Any leader being asked to lead today has a very, very difficult responsibility because he only has to look around him and things are in constant decay. Things are moving to the point of death, decay, and decline. It's the leader's job to arrest that. In any environment, the leader's job is to see where death, decline, and decay is in and arrest it and halt it and bring it to a purpose. Yeah? That's why some leaders are just preachers. But a true leader will spot the area of death, decline and decay, and he'll turn it around. This world is, is in decline. Now, you all agree with that, don't you? But you go, to, you go to those places of work that's in death and decline. Just because you come to church on a Sunday does not mean to say, you don't smell of that fragrance. We think humanistically. We have, we have carnal behaviors. This is Christians. We are just as much in decay as this world, but then on a Sunday we say we're not like them. I beg to differ. You only have to be in the church for a couple of months to see death, decay, and decline working in the midst of God's people. The way we think is Humanistic. The way we talk to about one another, to one another, we see it's in death and decline. Now, the leader has to see that in his people and has to go and arrest it. Yes? He has to go and arrest it. And God, as the more he begins to pray about it, God begins to make his emphasis from heaven so that he can go and arrest the death, decay and decline. Because that is the purpose of our Father, to Arrest the decline, death, and decay of nations, environments, cities, families, domains. God, the soul of the world, that gave his only son so that he could arrest death. He got the victory over death. He's got the victory over anything that can decline. Anything that's in decline, and Jesus speaks to it, it can turn around. The fig tree was in a point of decline. And then it went to a point of death. And Jesus spoke to it. And then there was other things like Jairus' daughter and many other people where death had taken his victim. And Jesus arrests it. And then through him arresting it, he brings the thing back to life. Yeah. The first job of the leader is to arrest the death, decline and decay in the people of God. Yeah. Now I know you don't think you've got some. But You have. And it's the it's my role and our role as leaders, as elders, to see that and then address it. Yeah. Where but what really upsets me is when I see preachers putting band-aid yeah. round decay. I'll just say this scripture. Oh never mind that, we're having a great time, everything's about a great atmosphere, but people's lives are not changing. Bum sat on a seat is not proof that lives are changing. The only proof that is, is that a seat's been taken. So God has to make sure that his emphasis is spoken and continually spoken because his emphasis is to arrest death, decay, and decline. Now you think, just for one second, church, those three Ds, where do you see them operate in your life and in your family? You just answer that question for yourself. Can you all agree there's some going on? Yeah, yeah. Right. Do you not think God, knowing that, tries to send his word yeah. ahead of time so that his people can arrest? Yeah. Do you not see that? So where's that word coming from? Well, it can come through you and God speaking one to one. It can come as, as you open up the word, as you start reading it, God speaks, it jumps out and hits you. Or it can come from the leadership. It can come from many, many sources, but come it must. Because as it comes, it has to arrest. It has to lay old. My family, two of my children are in decline. Two, where does decline take, spiritually, where does decline take them? To death. It's my role and my wife's role to arrest that. To stand in the gap and speak and prophesy and pray silently. The unhidden work, the secret work, the hard work. When that ground's hard, I've got to water it. Sometimes I water it with a word. Other times I water it with with my tears. But it's my job to water that seed. My job. And it's our job when we get the corporate emphasis of what God is speaking. It's our job to come together to arrest that. Can you see that? It can't all be about you. There has to be a we and an us in church life. I don't only minister so that you can be blessed. God's work is not, is not just in you, it's beyond you. So God's word has to come to arrest the environment. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1. For this reason, Paul says, I, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the Gentiles. See, it's not for his own sake. It's for the sake of the Gentiles. And then it says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. What was it? God's grace. So God gave the man something called grace for other people. Why? Because God wants to arrest the death and decay that's in the Gentiles. What's a Gentile? Anyone who's not a Jew. So are you a Gentile in that speak? Yes, you are in that sense. Don't get all spiritual and say, I'm a child of God. We know that, but we're we're separating these two classes of people for a second. This is the mystery made known to me by revelation. So something has to be made known in order for you to arrest death, decay, and decline. So therefore, somebody has to carry something, release it in order for you to know something that you didn't know before. And in this particular instance, Paul, who's an apostle, receives the grace and the grace is to make known what has been hidden and kept from the Jews for thousands of years. Can you imagine that? For thousands of years, this thing's been kept secret that Jesus Christ and his son died for mankind. And now not only Jews, but Gentiles as well, can become joint heirs, right? And this whole, it's, like lifting, it's like lifting up the, the border and letting people cross, yeah. right? So people can now migrate, refugees, asylum seekers, whatever, uh, you know, whatever uh, walk of life people come from, they can now cross over into this land of abundance. And he did that, but... They need upgrading and updating. They need someone who will go and tell them that God is about to open up the borders and you can pass through and cross over. And he says, I've already written briefly in, in reading this that you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ Jesus. So it's a mystery. When you read the Bible, a lot of the Bible that you read, even with the spirit of God, is still a mystery. And that's why we need revelation we need insight, we need wisdom, we need understanding, but most of all, we need people to help us. So people have to carry a grace and a measure to help you understand, go deeper, so you can be developed. Now, that you are capable of understanding many things so that on your personal time with God, you can receive many, many things. But God knows he gives grace to some people, a measure of grace to some people, so that they can develop and deepen their listeners. Yes? So here he says this, the mystery is through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. I mean, that is just an amazing, amazing revelation to have. That for one, it's like saying, let's pick pick the worst place in the world where segregation operates or where prejudice operates. And it's like saying, I've just found in our law that Everybody's entitled to the same thing. And you imagine that, putting that out on national airways. Now, all of a sudden, you just obliterate segregation overnight. Now, the Bible says you're neither Jew, you're neither alien. You're not a foreigner no more. You're now a child of the God, a child of God. So a black man, a white man, an orange man, a yellow man, a pink man, you're all the same now. You can all come in and eat at this table and feast from this position. Wow, what an amazing revelation. But that is power. And men, if men knew that today, they would keep that separate so you can't enter in. That's called religion. Yeah. Religion stops you entering in so you can't come to that position because religion wants you to come to them. Yeah. Yeah. Because the moment I remove this and you've got a free access to, to me, I don't need half of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. So this revelation is the deciding factor of how far you can go. So God knowing this has to make certain emphasis throughout the year. Does that make sense? So when God arrests death and decline and decay, listen to what he says in Psalm 107 verse 19. They cried, he says. Who's they? Well, God works on behalf of The they. There's always a they company somewhere. He said, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their diseases. He sent forth his word and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. So from one cry of a people, God arrested death, decline and decay. The cry is very important. The cry is something that you and I constantly need on our lips. Yeah. Now, when people cry, it's almost like they go into a begging mode. You know what I'm saying? Please, please, please. Oh, and then all random kind of uh, promises get made when you cry. God, knowing that, you can't fulfill half the stuff you say. He does not want you to cry and beg him. God is not a taskmaster that you have to convince to act. Come on. But God wants you to cry out for Him to move, but you don't have to beg. You can stand on the word that He spoke. There's a big difference. One thinks that God's unmerciful and he hasn't listened to them and, he's, and he's, he's pushing and pushing and pushing and he's trying to please God. And he thinks, is this enough? So he cries out a bit more. The other one says, Lord, I, cry, I need you to move. I'm desperate, but I stand on your word. Yeah. Yeah. There's a difference. One understands the position. One understands the nature of the father they're talking to. I had to go to my dad and say, Dad... Can you, can you lend us a tenner? Meaning, that means that he's never going to get it back. I should have said, Dad, can you give me a tenner? Dad, knowing that, makes me beg. So I used to send our Shirley in there. Shirley, go and ask Dad for some money. We can get this, we can get that. And Mum used to say to us, just go and ask him, he'll give it you. Well no, you go and ask. You're better at crying for things like that than I am. You're a better creep than I am. He likes you, he don't like me. And all those kind of things, and this, this imagery of what my father was, which he wasn't, but this imagery of the fear of him saying no. Yeah. So that makes me posture myself differently before him, when really, even my son, I should just say, Dad, what's the chances of you giving me a tenner? He could have said, no chance. <laughs> or he could have said, what do you want it for? And we could have then dialogued, and we could have got it down to a fiver. Because everybody knows you don't ask what you need, you ask for more. Because that's going to knock you back a few quid, so you actually end up getting what you really wanted. Yeah? Over ask and and he'll deliver. So, God's sending his word to arrest death, decline and decay. In your life, in your family's life, in this church life, and in our city's life. God has to send a word that will... There has to be a cry that comes out to arrest God's heart to move for the sake of his people. How many of you would agree with that? So, God is trying to arrest death. We know that. So, God spoke to us this year from Song of Solomon. Now, in order for... For this cry to come from this earth, there has to be a reawakening. So God spoke to us in the early part of this year about a reawakening. And God has not changed his mind on this reawakening. Now, from this reawakening, there has been a change in behavior in some, but not in all. Some are still asleep. And when God spoke to us about this reawakening, he spoke to us, very uniquely, we were going to pray one night, do you remember, we assembled to pray for the, na- uh, for the nation concerning Brexit, we began to pray and really pushing, and I was, in my mind, I really prepared that we're really going to knock the snot out of this thing tonight, really going to go in- intense, going to be a bit of warfare, let's really just, let's lift the government up, let's lift good old Lady Teresa up, and um, a and government, because she needs it, she's getting a bit of a bashing right now, and we really wanted to go to war and I stood up here and as I stood up here ready to lead the battle charge, God just turned me to, to uh, Song of Solomon and next minute I'm just, i had gone. I'm crying and, and I realized at that moment that God was very profoundly bringing a different emphasis. It wasn't, what, it wasn't the fact that we're, what we're praying for our nation was wrong, it wasn't that. It's just that God wanted to open up a side of his heart that he wanted us to know. And this whole thing of journeying with God in romance and intimacy really came upon us. And it affected me very profoundly and affected Phil and Paul and the the leadership team, so much so that whenever I tried to speak about it, I would just weep. And I would get emotional, so then I refrained and I kept saying, God, this is not good. Every time I get up to speak, I, I can't hold my emotions back and I need to at least, it's not that I'm scared of crying, not that you've seen me cry before. If you're a city supporter, you know you cry many times. <laughs> but the thing is, I've got, I'm well versed in the years of tears. Also, the older you get, you can't afford to lose, lose the fluid. So it doesn't bow well with you, the older you get crying. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm I'm traveling through Europe. Can I speak this stuff? He says, no. He says, why? Because it's not been yet formed in you. So that was fine. But at least I had some understanding to what God was doing. And he he spoke to us from Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7. You want to go there? And he says, daughters of Jerusalem. So let's just make this contemporary for us for a minute. Daughters of the Dream Center, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it desires. Love is the most powerful thing on this earth. The cry, it, it is the cry that awakens love. Hello? It is a fresh cry that awakens love. The thing is about this is when two people start having affections for one another, they very quickly in today's uh, society interpret a feeling as love. There's many stages. There's fancy, there's like, there's fancy, there's lust. Love isn't a feeling, though it has feelings. Love goes beyond than just a feeling. I don't always like my children, but I love them. And I tell them in that moment I don't like them, that I still remind myself, but I still committed to you, I love you, undyingly. But I don't always like their behavior. But you see, if I'm just infatuated or I fancy someone, if the moment they do something I don't like, I'll disconnect from them. But love is, is a bond. It's unmovable and shakeable. I can't easily shake it off. So God was saying that if you wake this love up, you will unleash the beast. This love will demand. This love will not be shaken off very easily. And this is the emphasis that God has been making upon us as a house, that this is going to be a house of love. This has got to be a house of love, where people love one another. Hello? Yeah, that means the person at the side of you. I didn't say fancy the other person at the side of you. I said love. This is, in this house, love has to be a very, very precious foundation stone. All our actions must be inspired and based out of love. And serving one another, praying for one another, listening to one another, there has to be a heart of love there. And God has to do a very unique work to give us that dimension of love. Because I don't have it for every one of you. And you don't have it for everyone in here as well. So let's just be honest. But guess what? If I'm called to love then God has to give supply to me something that I don't have. And we've been, t- uh, been taught from 2 Peter 1, he has given us everything for life and for godliness out of his divine nature. But the issue is this, do you know how to partake of that divine nature? As you partake and as you participate uh, from what's been made available, then all things are given to you for life, And for godliness. Don't wake up Christmas morning expecting all things for life and godliness to be put in one box. It's as you partake, it's as you participate, get involved, cry out. So, God is wanting you and I to, in our love relationship, there has to be an intimacy in you, with you, with God, and with one another. Now, the intimacy this way has boundaries, it has rules yes, I don't get intimate with another woman, why, because she's not mine, I only get intimate with one woman, that's my wife, so there has to be rules of engagement, he says greet one another with a holy kiss, he didn't say snugger. <laughs> come on, let's get right, he didn't say go out there with a tongue, he says speaking tongues, there has to be rules of engagement, So even though I want to be intimate and love, but I can't just be free to do it in a humanistic way. There has to be rules of engagement. But there has to be an intimacy that way. So he says, look, Tony, if you're going to cry out for me, let your cry be genuine. Don't awaken the heart of God to pick it up and to put it down. Don't do that don't do that. So we went through a whole bunch of teaching talking about this and God has not let this emphasis drop by the way. Do not think because we're talking, we've changed to upgrades and updates. This is still coming out of the awakening. The upgrade and update awakens you. Amen. Remember this, an update is something that comes from the outside. So in other words, I hear it, yes, but when God upgrades you spiritually, it comes from a work he does inside. Faith comes by hearing on the outside, but then the work and the upgrade comes from the inside. There's many things that we get updated about, but doesn't produce an upgrade. So in you, there'll be things that when when you catch something in your heart, that's when the upgrade can start. God does a new work. But there's many up to you this morning. This might be an update. To so someone else, this could be the process leading you into an upgrade. And time and time again, you read throughout scripture, and the word of the Lord came again. Well, here's one of those moments. Every human relationship needs a, a reawakening in this house, every relationship needs fresh impetus. Would you agree? A fresh fire. Love, romance. Maybe you need it with your husband, with your wife. Maybe you just need a fresh fire with your relationships, with your friends. Well, that must come. Every spiritual relationship needs intimacy, romance, and fresh dialogue. Do you know when husband and wife run out of fresh dialogue, the atmosphere becomes stale? Maybe. In your walk with God, your prayer life, your dialogue with God has become stale. God, I don't know what to ask for. I don't know how to talk to you anymore. God says, well, let me put a fresh fire in there. Let a fresh call, cry come out of your heart. Lord, show me how to dialogue with you. Because most of our prayers is just a monologue. You speak and then you're busy and then you run off. If you want a prayer life of monologues, then you're on your own. But if you want a dialogue with God, then again, there are principles, there are teachings to help you come to this place where how to recognize the voice of God. Most Christians don't know how to hear the voice of God, and therefore they struggle. It's a lot simpler than you actually think. It's very simple to hear the voice of God, but it's very profound. But it's something, even though in its simplicity, it needs developing, It needs developing. Was that you, Lord? I'm not sure. Was that the voice of my own imagination? Good question. Let's start there. Let's find out. So God is trying to arrest the death, decay, and decline in this house. And he won't stop until it's done. And most people, when they come for counseling, there's elements of death, decay, and decline hit their life. And then they expect you to pull a magic magic wand out I can't give you something that you're not willing to participate in. Come on. I've had to take some tough medicine to get where I am. You know that tough medicine where you sweat your... You feel like you've been delivered, there's a demon in you. You know, they say that the, the worst medicine... I said the medicine that does the least help is the one that tastes nice. The one that does the most... Work is the one that doesn't taste nice. I think that's the word sometimes. But those Christians in the love chamber. They want it all to taste sweet. Well, sweet medicine doesn't do you good. It just rocks your teeth. God wants you to know his height, his depth, the width, the intensity of his love. And he's got to fi- you've got to find a place for God to reveal this intensity. And then God spoke to us about this, and he used, in in Song of Solomon, he talked to us about the garden. And in the garden, there's aromas, there's a wind that blows, and yet, he said she was like, he spotted the potential that she had, but then he saw the limitations that was on her. So he said, you're like a a cistern, my sister, but you're blocked up. So then he has to talk to her about getting free. So he sees the potential within her, but he also sees the limitation on her life. And he has to speak to her about the limitation so that her potential, she can come to the very point of what she was created for. And as we dialogue through the the Song of Solomon, in fact, when I actually did get to speak about it, I spoke in Switzerland. And they said, the guys at FCT there said, we have never heard anybody ever speak to us on Song of Solomon. I said, no, it's one of those books that most preachers don't speak on. He said, no, no, it wasn't just the fact that you spoke on it. It's the way you spoke on it. We could see you were in love. And I thought, yeah. It's right. Because every time I read it, it breaks my heart. Because in the Song of Solomon, there's a desire for the lover to be with his bride. And there's a desire for the bride to be with the lover. But the trouble is, they never quite get it together. The moment they're together, then there's another reason not to be together. And it's nine times out of ten, in fact, ten times out of ten, it's the woman's fault. In this particular... No, listen... In this particular story, it is the woman's deficiencies that cause this problem in this story. She has a point where she's saying, he's there, I can hear him. Hark, I can hear my lover. And she can hear his hand coming on the latch. And the anticipation, and, and oh, he's ready, he's ready, ready. And then she comes out with his one-liner, you think, honey, this was not your best moment. You can imagine this is mank humour. She's got her hair in rollers. She's got a fag in her mouth. She's got her slippers on and a bathrobe, and she says, "This have I got to get up? I've just washed my feet. Have I got to go and get them dirty again? Now have I got to go and put my bathrobe on? Hang on, this is the moment, honey, that you've been waiting for. This is the moment of intimacy, and all you're moaning about is your flipping feet and you what and your, your nightgown." And then, surprise, surprise, she runs to the door. Oh, my lover's not there. You want a bet? <laughs> and that's how most of us are. We talk to God. We woo him. I want you. I want you. I want you. I need you. I love you. And then the moment he says, I'm here. Oh, by the way, can you just get on a plane or can you just go and do something? What? And now you're going to inconvenience me. And the moment we cry out for God, when God puts a, a demand or a stipulation on us quickly, we don't want, we remove ourselves and we become inconvenienced and we say, well, God, I can't, you know I've got to do this, you know I've got to do that. And in this, this book, is a beautiful book that there's this ebb and flow and then she goes looking for him. The issue is don't lose him. Yeah. The issue is don't lose him. And towards the back end of the story, she says, I'm going to take him. When I catch him, if I finally ever do get hold of him, I'm going to take him to the place of my mother's house. So she has a house in mind. A house where she feels secure. A house where she feels blessed. A house where she knows God is about to move. And she asked the question, how is your lover? Oh, a friend's asked the question. Well, how is your lover better than ours? That's a big important question that God asked us. Can you describe to others the one that you say you love? David asked me to describe Carol. I guarantee, ladies, we can't do this because this is not a a workshop. (laughs) If I stood 20 women up here and I kissed every one of them, I know which one's my wife. Blindfolded, yeah. Thanks, Jules. here? <laughs> okay, let's, let's go back again. If I blindfolded myself and I stood 20 women up in this room and I kissed them, I should know my wife. Why? Because I've tasted. I have tasted. I've had intimacy around those lips for thirty odd years and beyond, so I know my wife. So the moment I, t- you know, it's like the, it's like the guy who buys. Have you ever seen these tea buyers? Who they taste all the teas from the different regions, and they can tell you all the teas and all the regions. Why? Because he's tasted them. Yeah. No, I haven't tasted twenty women to know which one's mine. I know which is mine. I know which is mine. Right? I am my beloved. <laughs> Clean up, I feel. <laughs> I know my beloved and she's mine. And I brought her to my banqueting table. And her banner over me is love. So I know, yeah, I know my wife so I can describe her to you. It's a tragedy for many Christians cannot describe the one they say they love and know. And God is very clearly saying to us, Church, I want everyone in the Dream Center to be able to describe to their fellow neighbor the one they know and love yeah. come in guys just come in it's okay let me finish <laughs> shit <laughs> i have a lot more to say okay last scripture Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3. Quickly, come in, guys. Sit down. Like an apple tree, like an apple tree amongst the forest is my lover among young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, banqueting hall, and his banner over me is love. The apple tree has become such a key emphasis of God's heart towards this year. For those who uh, don't know, God spoke to us prophetically some years ago about a tree in Tameside. He spoke to us about this tree in Tameside and how the council have thrown money at young people and they've not seen the fruit of their money, their investment. And what they've done is they cursed them by saying, this generation is no use. You can't put money into these. They'll never change. And as a result of that, there's, there is this despondent generation living out there. And God told us to speak tenderly to this tree. Bring the tree back to life. <clears throat> okay, listening to me? Bring this tree back to life. This is part of our purpose as a house. To speak to this tree in Tameside, to, to speak tenderly to her, to see her, revive, be reawakened, and I believe that tree is about to blossom. And here's God showing us an apple tree. In this garden this apple trees where intimacy takes place in, in the song of Solomon. In this place, they make, through intimacy, pregnancy develops. So in the intimacy, God begins to impart his vision and his seeds of hope into our life, giving us hope for the future and vision. God's saying, I want to make this house pregnant. But I need you to come to a place of intimacy. I need you to find that garden, your apple tree. That means for every one of us individually, find your place where you can meet God. A place where no one's going to interrupt you. A place where you think, this is my place. It can be in your cupboard. It can be anywhere. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a literal garden with a tree. We're not talking about that. That's metaphorically. We're talking about you finding an intimate place with God that you can meet with Him regular. Where God can deposit seeds of heaven and seeds of hope into your life. And through that relationship, God will arrest the death, the decay, and the decline Amen? Okay, that's it. There's a lot more to say, but I ain't got time.